Amazing. Wow. Is everybody doing all right tonight? Man, you guys are looking great tonight. I am honored to be here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's James, and I have the incredible privilege of just being a party animal around here. So uh, glad you're here, and we're excited. Um, how many people have enjoyed this series, The Wrestle? Did anybody enjoy it? Okay, just, just was a really quick feedback, because we, we value your thoughts, your opinion, we value you as people, and we at Tehillah, as a leadership team, want to serve you best, so but, just help me out for a little bit. A quick showing of hands, was this, was this series of value to you guys? By a quick showing of hands, okay, okay. Did, did, did anybody learn something about God from it? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Did anybody, like, re- was able to wrestle in a healthy way through some of your belief systems or theology? Did anybody in here? Would you guys want to do this again? Something similar to this, not the same topics, but something similar to this. Was it a value to create an environment that we can simply have honest conversation? Was it, was it all right? Was it all right? Okay, all right, that's great. Good feedback, good to know. Uh, you guys are great participants. Thank you so much for that. And if you want to share even a little bit more, you're more than welcome to just hit us up on Instagram or Facebook and um, just let us, let us know what you think. We are open to criticism. We're open to constructive criticism. We're just open to thoughts in general. So we want to be better. We want to serve you better and serve our city better. So please share with us. Amen? Amen. All right. So tonight... Um, we are going to dive into a topic, uh, a topic called revival. Uh, and the title of my message tonight is why revival slap your neighbor and say revival, <laughs> revival, revival. And we're going to do a little bit more participation right in this moment. So uh, I know it's a very diverse room in this, in this room right here. We're, very, we're a very diverse crowd. If you're new to Tehillah, welcome. But what Tehillah is, is a gathering of a bunch of different churches simply because we want to gather around the presence of God. That, that is our main priority is to be with God and in his presence. And I don't know about every single person here, but I don't know about a few people, but I just want to kind of get a feel for the room of where you guys are at when it comes to this topic of revival. Say it with a Brazilian accent. I I feel like it has more power to it. Revival. There's this guy named Raf. He leads worship here. I always say, revival Raf. Anyways. I wish I was Brazilian, wish I could speak Portuguese, but um, I just want to get a quick feel, and again, by the showing of hands... How many people in here have ever experienced maybe like a personal or a corporate revival ever before? Okay, okay, all right. A lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of us. Has, any, has anyone ever actually like, you know, like there's been like recorded times in history, like I think of the most recent one, like there was a revival breakout in Lakeland, Florida. Was that, has anybody ever been to like a revival or what, you know, people would consider a revival? Has anybody ever? Okay, a few of us, a few of us. A few of us in here, this is good, this is good, this is, this is a good start. Um, um, have, have, does, is there some people in here, and this is okay if this is you, because again, we know that we all come from diverse backgrounds and Christian forms and belief systems, but does anybody in here, are you like, when I say the word revival, you're like, I have no idea what that means. Okay, a few people. Julius, thanks man, appreciate your honesty. Really appreciate it. It is a confusing word sometimes, so that's why we're talking about it, because I believe... I believe that this topic is wildly important. It's important. 
We're just not up here just like yelling at people. I'm not like just up here to like pump you up and I'll explain a little bit about that. But it's an important thing. And I'll explain why that is. But before we do that, just to maybe build up some faith in here, when somebody experienced revival, with one word, what I want you to do is shout out maybe a characteristic of what you experienced when you experienced a revival. All right, go. Just one at a time. Okay, Jesus, amen. You got the right answer. You went to Sunday school. Uh, What else? Healing, healing. What else? Restoration. What else? I heard two Asians. Joy, manifestations, Holy Spirit. What else? What else? Compassion, salvation. You, I was, I was way off. My bad. Salvation. What else? What else? What else? From this, from this crowd over here. Is anybody? Anybody? What? Transformation. Slap your neighbor and say transformation. That was a good one. That was a good one. Now, how many people in here, and this is my last question before we dive into the word, how many people in here want to experience something like that? Does anybody in here want to experience that? Does anybody? Okay, well, the greatest place to begin revival is in God's word as we can study it and read about how we can come about experiencing these things. All right, so let's turn to God's word. It's up on the screen. And we have two goals tonight. We're gonna debunk what revival is not. And we're gonna make a case for why we need revival here in Calgary and in Canada today. And what I wanna try to do is create a pathway for all of us. Now, there's no formula. I'll say that right off the top. There's no formula. There's a general direction And I really feel I want to debunk some of those things because the charismatic church hasn't done a great job at explaining or demonstrating this pathway of continuous revival. All right, so let's turn to God's word. The first one we're going to read, we're going to read four verses and we're going to tie them all together, all right? So everybody buckle your seatbelts and we're going to dive in, okay? Here we go. First one, and it's up on the screen and you should have it right about now. Oh, it's not on that screen. I was waiting for it. (laughs) My bad. Ephesians 2, here we go. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. And he says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were what? Dead in our what? Now read this together on the count of three. It is by grace you have been saved. Mm, come on, somebody. All right. Next verse, the second one. This is in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. I'm reading out of the message version. And it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced, and remember the word, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. But keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. How many people want that? 
All right. Third one. Here we go. Revelations 3, 14 to 18. This is the angel of the Lord talking to the church in Laodicea. And it says this. These are the words of the amen. The faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. Says this. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the one or the other. So, because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired all wealth and do not need a thing. A lot of things that Calgary says. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Yeesh, yikes, I'm not naked right now, but anyways, thank God for that. I counsel you. To buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and slaves and, and what's that word? Salve. What's a salve? Oh, salve? Oh, a, 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 a bomb? Like essential oils? A bomb? Okay. And essential oils to put on your eyes so you can see. All right, the fourth one. This is one most of us should know in here, and if you don't, that's all right. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. It's a lot of scripture, I know that, but it'll all tie together. This is Jesus saying, and he's teaching us how to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. You can recite it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't finish the rest. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you so much that we get to come and be in your presence and seek after you. God, I pray right now that you would open hearts, open our minds, and you would bring all of the things that were described here tonight because you're a good God, you're a good Father, and you love your children. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. All right, question for you. All right, all right. How many people have ever said to somebody, I am busy? Has anybody ever said that in here? Okay, now to get really honest, have you ever said that even though you weren't busy just to get out of something you didn't want to go to? Has anybody ever said that before? Oh, sorry, man. I'm busy. Busy. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe this. Okay, I'm guilty. Don't worry. It's all good. But how many, how many people in here, how many people in here find themselves using this phrase, I'm busy, almost like the same way you'd answer, I'm good, when somebody says, how are you? Does anybody ever even find themselves saying, when somebody says, how are you, man? I'm like, oh, man, I'm busy right now. Does anybody find themselves ever saying that in their lives? Has anybody ever done that? Not like I'm good, not like I'm okay, but like, how are you? I'm busy. Has anybody? Okay. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy that that can become such a natural response to a question That isn't necessarily asking the state of how we are. Because busy, sure, it can be a state. But am I good or am I bad? But somehow it can become a response. And, And the craziest part about this is that our culture finds that to be normal. We find it to be okay. We find to be busy a good thing. But how many of you in here, if you're really honest with yourself, because of your constant busyness, have you ever been stressed out before? Has anybody ever been stressed out before? Have you, ever, have you ever looked at your schedule, your workload, and, and immediately started feeling anxious? Has anybody ever felt that in here? 
Okay. Have, have you ever, when your alarm goes off at 5 a.m. in the morning, and all of a sudden you wake up, and you're like, <gasps> like I'm late for something, but really you got up at the right time? Has anybody ever done that? Has anybody ever done that? It's the worst feeling on the planet. I mean, how many people have ever actually suffered from being overworked in here? Has anybody? Yeah, okay, you're with me? Like, like maybe you've been there before, but maybe you're there now, or maybe you'll be there one day where you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. You feel the pressure to perform, the expectation from people that you need to succeed, that you need to do something, that you need something to make something out of yourself. And I'm sure it's a lot of us in here because this is the script that the world gives us. You got to do something. You got to stay busy to be successful. But how many of you have ever gotten to the point where you've been grinding, you've been hustling, you've been overworking yourself, and you got to the point where what we call a lot of times in the Christian circles, what we call feeling burnt out. Has anybody ever experienced that before? Feeling burnt out. A lot of us have felt that in this room where we've gotten to the point where like, I got no more gas in the tank. I'm running on empty. I, I barely sleep, James. I don't have time to eat. And rest really isn't an option. And, and some days you look at the mountain you're climbing and you're like, ah, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how on earth I could keep up at this pace. Then all of a sudden you're scrolling social media, you're on Facebook and you're on Instagram and you see this like motivational talk of this like dude in tights and he's like, hey, never quit, son. Like you, you're amazing. Or like, you're like, you're like, okay, I won't quit. If I don't quit, I, I'll win and I'll succeed and, and I'll never let life drag me down. It inspires you to keep going. But by the end of the week, you're already on empty again. You come here on Monday, but by Friday, <laughs> you go to church on Sunday, but by Tuesday... Or Friday, I don't know, depending on how good your church is. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You get to the end of the week and you're already on empty. You would describe yourself as burnt out, that you simply don't have enough strength. Now, now, a lot of us use this word very loosely. I will say that. On a, on a regular basis, I hear people coming for prayer or conversation and, and they say this and they're like, uh, uh, James, I feel burnt out. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, like, help me understand that. Like, you just had one exam, bro. Like, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to make it. I promise you. But you're like, I'm burnt out, man. I can't do this. And sometimes we do that just because it's a, it's a little bit of a buzzword. It's like, and here's the best part about it, is when you say you're burnt out, you can't really challenge that because you're not necessarily in that person's shoes. So the best thing you could do when somebody says, oh, I'm burnt out, you can say, yeah, me too, man. Me too, bro. Me too. Like, yeah, yeah, girl. Me too. Like, I get it. Like, 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 like I know, man. I know. You're burnt out, man. Yikes. We use the word loosely, but for some of us in here, or wherever you're at, whether you're actually overworking yourself, like you got two jobs, you're working 80 hours a week, you're in college studying, working a full-time job, you're a parent of one or however many, because Lord knows being a parent is a lot of work, like, like whatever place you are in, if you're feeling burnt out, you must realize this thing, that being burnt out isn't really a healthy place to be in, amen? You're like, yeah, no Duh, James, like, 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 I get it. Like, James, I get that being stressed out, exhausted or anxious is a problem. But here's an even bigger problem that I want you to notice, because this is all pretty obvious. Here's a bigger problem that I want you to notice, because it relates to all of us in this room. 
Here's one thing I've noticed, is I hear Christians say I'm burnt out more than anybody else. Do you notice that? Do you notice that in the church when, you know, when I go to my friends in sports, so like, I'm like, how's it going, man? They're not like, bro, I'm burnt out. They're like, yeah, man, what's up? Like, I'm good, bro. Like, that's how guys that play sports talk, but... What I've noticed is that, that in the church, people feel burnt out. And I hear it on a regular basis from senior pastors to volunteers, to people who just sit in a pew and watch, that they're feeling burnt out. And I hear it all the time, and I bet you do as well. And we have to discover why is this? Why are Christians functioning on so little energy? Why do we have so little to give? Why are we finding ourselves burnt out? Why is that, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I would like to propose a thought to you, that Christians sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we are the way we are because we're burnt out on revival. Now, let me explain. I don't know about you, but if you're really honest, sometimes can you get tired of coming week in and week out, day in and day out to prayer meetings, church services, extra volunteer functions, that the pastor says, man, if you come to this thing, it'll spark a revival that the whole world will see. Like, 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 do you, do you, if, maybe it's just me. Like, do I, do I, am I the only one in here that sometimes gets bored with church sometimes? Is that just me? Maybe that's some, somebody in here. But, but let me explain with what we sometimes get burnt out on is the, oftentimes the way that revival is pitched to us is it's like, we're going to pray until the glory falls, brother. We're going to worship until the fire falls. We're going to praise until the rain falls. It's all about falling. And we're going to stay here until the wind of heaven blows in this place. Man, we're going to fast until all obese people are skinny. Heck, we're going to dance until the Lord's name, until all white people can dance. Like, this is, this is the narrative that is pitched to us. I'm obese in here a little bit. I'm on the keto. It's not working. I had Pastor Michael worship community tonight had ordered Chicago deep dish pizza. He catered to the gluten-free and the vegetarians, but not the keto people, man. I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? I'm like 240, bro. I gotta lose some weight. But I ate the pizza anyways, because I love Chicago deep dish. <laughs> I can resist a lot of things, but not Chicago deep dish. It gets me going. Ah! Ah! It's pitched to us like that. And don't get me wrong, I love this stuff. I love it. We all need a good pump up every once in a while, amen? We all need, we all, we all need to, you know, we all need to get excited. Don't get me wrong. But what ends up happening is the pastor or the churches or the movements cry for revival and for God to move turns into begging for God to show up. What begging for God to do something is religion. Pastors be like, God, like in their, their prayer time, like, please, God, I told these people that you would heal them. I, I, I threw that out there with faith and expectation that you, the glory cloud was going to come and, and the people wouldn't leave the same. How many times have you heard that? This service, you're never going to leave the same again. Then you leave the same. And it's like, well, what's going on in here? Is it the service or is it you? Is it the worship man or is it the speaker? I don't know. Who knows? But what happens is because of this pitch and narrative that the church has given in its history, not always, and I'm not saying every 
every church. I'm just saying sometimes when it comes to the topic of revival, what, the, what, what ends up happening is we think that that lifestyle, that reality can be sustainable. We think that every service, every day, that, 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 that every moment should be like that. That, that. And what ends up happening is church turns into a glorified pep rally versus a genuine and authentic encounter with God. And what the charismatic church has done has defined revival. And this is not everyone, again, you don't hear that. But what it's done in sometimes history was defined revival as hype, as keeping the levels up, as keeping the fire burning, as having only a mountaintop experience. And here, let me explain why we do this. Because here, I'm a pastor, and what I understand is that you in this moment, we in this moment, we need encouragement. We need to be inspired. We need to, because what we're doing is coming from a mountaintop experience, an experience with encountering God in a corporate setting, and then we go back to work, and we go back to school, and we go back to life, and life beats us up. So, of course, of course I'm going to try to come and encourage people and inspire people. What ends up happening is when people go home, they have this feeling in a corporate setting that they just don't have at home. They don't have in their car. They experience this moment that doesn't necessarily always follow them. And what ends up, what ends up happening is they, feel, they go home and they're like, why am I not experiencing this? Why am I not excited nonstop about what God's doing? Well, like, 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 I got to get to the next church service to see what happens to make sure that I can be changed. The pastor said that, that, that my life would be changed. I'm struggling here, James. I'm going to come back. And what we do sometimes as the church is we keep people's attention because, of course, people want to grow. They want to be changed. So, of course, we're going to preach a series that's going to draw people back because we want to teach them. But because of that, what has happened is the pursuit of revival, city transformation, a nation being saved in a day has turned into religion, forcing people into a mold that no one could keep up with. And really what it does is it a lot of times, and I'm guilty of doing this, I'll be the first person to say that I'm guilty of doing this, is putting a mold on people that, that just pushes them into a lifestyle of busyness, a lifestyle of burnout, working for God to move, striving for God to show up, begging for God to do something. And that, my friends, is the definition of a religion. As we read in Matthew, what do we read at the beginning? Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Well, come to me. Get away with me. Me is not the church. Of course, Jesus wants us to be a part of a church because he wants us to be a part of the larger family. But me, he's talking about Jesus. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And so oftentimes we can come in here and just force it. Not everyone. Maybe this is just me, but force it by, by doing the opposite of this. He says, uh, Jesus said this, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. You see, religion forces you into earning your life with God and relationship with him, but what revival does the opposite. And I think the definition we see of revival that I believe, that I believe is in the first Bible verse that we read, and we'll read it at the end, in verse four, it says this, but because of his great love for us, 
So start, start at the top, then I'll go to that one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We've all been in that place before. Maybe you're in here and you feel dead inside. You have no hope as we were talking about. You have no joy. You have no purpose or passion or calling in life, which is at an all-time low in North America. We have an all-time high of feeling good and, and experiencing something great, which we're going to talk about. We have an all-time low of purpose and calling. Maybe you're at that point, dead in your transgressions and sins, but verse it says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it's by grace that you've been saved. And I believe a true, a, not the, but a part, a part of the definition of what revival is, is dead things coming alive. And this work is what Christ does best, and he's the only one that can do it. And note the last verse. What does it say you are saved by? It says you are saved by grace. And what is grace? Grace is an unmerited, unearned gift of God that you cannot pay for. That you cannot, you cannot just like muster up all doing all the right things and, and, and doing this and that and this and that and this and that. And therefore God will, will show up. And this is to my point that there is no way that we can earn revival or snap our fingers to spark a revival by doing. This is oftentimes what the church has ended up doing by doing or having long worship services. We're going to have a long extended worship service and therefore revival is going to come. Or, or screaming and yelling or, or shaking or rolling on the floor laughing. That's where ROFL came from, like rolling on the floor laughing, came from Christians. It's legit. Praying for gemstones, gold teeth, gold dust, glory clouds, like like those things. Don't get me wrong. I've been in settings. I was, uh, I don't know if you guys like ever saw this video, but there was like a, a cloud of gold dust that showed up at Bethel Church in Reading. And I was in Bible college at the time. And all my friends were saying that is a bunch of phony baloney, that there's a leprechaun in the, in the vents that is pouring gold dust out. And, and they're like, man, if that was happening in my church, I'd collect that gold dust and I'd sell it and give it to the poor. And I went down there a little bit skeptical, but I was like, man, I'm hungry for God. And what ended up happening, I'll just show you the video sometime. It was wild. But there's this, in different places in the room, not near vents, not near anything, this crazy cloud of gold dust showed up. And here's the craziest thing that happened is oftentimes when we think like, oh, revival, glory, gold dust, whatever, we think that, oh, then we should pursue those things. But what happened in that room is people were simply pursuing God. And I remember I seen it twice there before. I asked one guy, and I see he's, I, he was looking at his hands, and his family was like, "Ooh, wow, this is amazing." And I'm like, "What's on your hands, bro?" He's like, "Gold dust." And God told me it represents purity. The time when the glory cloud came in and the gold dust was everywhere. What happened wasn't like an awe and sensation of gold dust. It was an awe and sensation of God because sometimes the byproduct of a revival can be those things. Just read your Bible. God does some pretty crazy signs that make you wonder. And in that moment. What happened was not an obsession with a sign, but it was an obsession with the sign giver. Because here's what ends up happening, is those things can happen, and then we can be like, I want that stuff! I want to experience something radical! 
that's what happens all the time. I'm telling you, it happens a lot where people end up solely seeking after those things. But if you are in that place, or if you've been in that place, here's my suggestion for you. That's not really a suggestion, but you might as well go do drugs because if you're, all you're looking for is a radical encounter or doing something that makes you feel good or high and not actually a long-lasting lifestyle that is different than the current busy, burned-out, tired life that we're living, drugs will get you that high a lot quicker than like, like seeking after God. Well, I'm just saying, don't, don't do drugs, give hugs. But I'm just saying, if, you, if, you're, if you're solely seeking after the signs, what is always going to happen? If you're only seeking after having a wild, feel-good time, what will end up happening is you'll end up in burnout. You'll end up in burnout. Which is what happened at Tehillah here. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. This little gathering you come to, it's been going on for 27 years. And about 15 years ago, Tehillah experienced what we called a revival. It was wild. Like, I wasn't there. I was like, like nine at the time. Well, no, I wasn't. I don't know how old I was. I wasn't nine. I was like a teenager. But I wasn't there. But I've heard tons of stories. Stories of people weeping on their knees, encountering God. People getting healed. There was, there was a story where a, a, a man, literally the doctors were about to pull the plug. He was brain dead. It was over for him. A group of people from Tehillah went and found out about it, went and prayed for him. And he literally woke up the next day. Crazy. Like, like there was a ton of like, like, maybe for some of you, because again, I know it's a diverse crowd, but there's a ton of like weird manifestations like shaking or like, 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 like fire tunnels. Y'all don't know what a fire tunnel is, but maybe we'll do one one day. Like, and, and what was happening was there was a ton of people coming from all over Alberta and the world to see what God was doing here at Tehillah. And as a result, beautiful things happened. In this room, tens of thousands of people came through and in two, a two year span, they counted five to 6,000 people that either put their hand up for salvation or a rededication to the life. It was a beautiful thing. We had a thriving leadership school and what ended up happening is people caught this and took it back to their home location and what happened was 13 tequilas were sparked all around the world from Bonneville, Alberta to Toronto to Hong Kong to Nairobi, Kenya. There was worship gatherings of a ton of churches that all started from this room. It was incredible. God was moving. But what happened is it fell apart. It all stopped. It all fizzled out very abruptly because things changed here at this church. The leaders changed. The focus changed. Uh, sometimes, again, when, when things happen, our focus can shift from being on the giver to the gift. And that's what ended up happening. It, the focus was on the manifestation of what God was doing, not on God. It was, it was focused from God, and then even worse, sometimes to the pastor or to the worship leader. Like, oh, that person can preach. I'm coming to heal. This is amazing. Like, it went, we went from passionate and pure hunger for God to just wanting to experience the glory of God. Like, I want to experience the glory. I'm a glory hog. Like, 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 I'm serious. And when leadership changed and the fire wasn't there anymore, when the passionate preaching and altar calls weren't happening anymore, what happened was the third verse that we read. As people became lukewarm. Because someone wasn't firing them up, wasn't inspiring them, wasn't prophesying life over them. 
And people really quickly from a deep and rich encounter, because no one was pushing them anymore, became either hot or neither hot nor cold. Because what they were taught was that being with God is, 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 is this kind of experience. It's like an electric environment. That's what being with God feels like. So again, when they go home and they're not in the corporate setting of worship where God does show up in, in incredible measures, not that he can't show up. And it, personally, I've experienced God way more by myself than I have in a church service. Just saying. But what they were taught is that, hey, this is what being a Christian looks like, is like coming and encountering God. But what they were not taught was how to sustain that love for God. And that only way that you can figure that out is by yourself in your room alone with God. That it's not in this setting. Because anyone can be passionate on fire. I was ta- talking with Nadia earlier. And it's like it's easy to burn when you're, in, when you're in a fireplace. But as soon as you're outside of that fireplace, it's pretty hard to burn. What they weren't taught on the whole was, was man, here's how you not sustain the signs and wonders, miracles. But here's how you sustain your love for God. Because that's what it's about. What happened was a lot of people at Tila is they became lukewarm, which turned into being disappointed, which turned into becoming jaded, which turned to a lot of the people, including the leaders at the, uh, today, wanting nothing to do with God. I meet hundreds of people. They're like, oh, I used to go to Tila. Yeah, <laughs> crazy, man. People, people used to think it was a cult. It was actually wild. Was that crazy? Like literally, there was a Bible college I would rename unnamed Ambrose um, that would send people to go discover what this cult was about. I'm serious. It was crazy. It was wild. It was wild. Um, it wasn't called Ambrose back then, but it was, anyways. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if it was Ambrose. I just threw that one out there. <laughs> Throw it up a lot. That's how rumors start. I'm just kidding. But anyways, I love Ambrose. It's a great university. You should go to it. But what ended up happening is, is a lot of people wanted nothing to do with the God after. And I still meet those people all the time on the, on the street and restaurants. Tell them what I'm doing. Oh, I'm in this thing called Tehillah on Monday night. And they're like, oh, yeah, Tehillah, I've been there. Literally, my neighbor's daughter had been there. Literally, I met two girls on a cruise in the Mediterranean that had been there. Like, it was nuts. Me and Brett. It was wild. Wild. It was crazy. Anyways. <laughs> but what ended up happening is when God shows up, the devil is always right outside that door on the prowl, ready to destroy everything that God does. From stories I've heard, man, that it was, and, and seeing the result of people's lives live that experienced that, that it was, it, was, it, was, it was wild. It was an all-out war for people's souls. That God was doing great things, and the devil would come in right after that service, whisper lies, saying that, hey, if miracles aren't happening, you aren't doing the right things. If you don't feel God, that means God doesn't love you, and he isn't there. And the devil would say, you got to earn it. you got to pay for it. you got to say the right things, do the right things, which ended up being religion, which is why people got burnt out on it. 
Because everything that is good that comes from God, the devil is going to try to either counterfeit it and make something that is a replicable, that a replicable feeling like it. That's why the Bible in Romans talks about being drunk in the spirit, where literally I've seen people drunk literally on alcohol and drunk in the spirit. They were building their testimony, but uh, it looked the exact same. It was crazy. Like, like what ends up happening is what God creates for us that is good, the devil will try to counterfeit and lie to you and turn it relationship and true, authentic communion into religion and say, you need to go after those things. You need to focus on things. And then God is saying, he's saying, oh, back up. No, 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 no. That's not what got you there. Putting on a show for me isn't what got you there. He's saying, I'm not impressed by what humans are impressed by. Your cool guitars, dim lights, candles, and entertaining preaching doesn't move my heart, people. And he's, he's saying, he's like, that's not the stuff that got you there. And, and a lot of people got confused that that, that was the environment, the cool lights, the cool whatever, got confused that that was the thing that got us to the point of revival. And a lot of people tried to replicate it like that. But what got Tehila to its point of revival is what started every single revival. What starts a true revival always is people simply and humbly coming to God and pursuing him. Not for signs and wonders like he's a vending machine. Not for him to pour out wild manifestations, but simply people desiring to know him, to be with him, to come truly alive in him. And this is how the revival at Tehillah was started. It was a bunch of teenagers in a basement right over there. What happened was these kids, they were just hungry to see God. Most of you, I'm assuming, are teenagers. Say a group about this size. They were hungry to see God. They weren't hungry for the hype or the... or whatever, whatever we as North American Christians, they weren't hungry for that. They were, they were hungry to know God. What ended up happening once, I was talking to the pastor at the time, and he told me the story that he was up here preaching, leading the service, and one of the leaders, it wasn't really led by leaders, it was just a bunch of teenagers hungry for God, and the, one, of, one of the people came, he went down to go check on the kids, and he came back up, got, got the pastor, and he went back down, and what ended up, what did he, we came down to, it was a bunch of teenagers, literally, like, 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 these kids weren't taught how to do this. Like, this was a genuine encounter with God. They were on the floor, enjoy the Lord, like, experiencing God. It was wild. And what ended up happening is that hunger seeped up into the young adults, which then seeped into First Assembly. Which, and that's how it got started. And there was a bunch of hungry teenagers that sparked the revival. And they weren't down there praying, God, send revival! They weren't being like, yo, we need signs and wonders stat. Like, Dance, monkey, like, like, let's go, God. You know, they, 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 they weren't saying that. They were saying, God, I just want to know you. God, I want to know you. And this is what has happened throughout history, that revivals, if you study it, study that. It's usually started and ignited by a small group or a lot of times one person's hunger and zeal for God. For example, if you want to do some reading on this, I'd highly recommend God's Generals by Robert Lardon. I don't want to say his last name, but check it out. And he tells the stories of revivals. And he talks about the revivalists of old being some people, maybe you've heard of these people like Smith Wigglesworth. This guy literally one time God told him, it's kind of crazy, like Jesus told, or God told Jesus to spit in the mud and like do the eyes thing. Like, and the blind man was healed. One time, God told Smith Wigglesworth to drop kick a baby that had a heart problem. Serious. 
And like, it's crazy, I know. But when God speaks, trust me, read the Bible. When God speaks, be obedient. He might ask you to do some crazy things. Drop kick a baby. This is true, right, Pastor Michael? Drop kick a baby because this, this, this child had heart problems and had passed away. Drop kicks his baby. Baby wakes up. It's great. Crazy stories. If you want to talk about revival, talk to Pastor Michael. He's experienced a bunch of them. But people like John Wesley, Charles Finney, Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Kuhlman, William J. Seymour. One of the, he was the guy who, who was one of the first people that, that got hungry for God in, in L.A. on Azusa Street. How many people have heard of Azusa now? It was about 100 years ago that people happened and the Spirit of God came and descended on these hungry people. He was the main preacher of that movement. And what that movement did, here was one of the miracles out of it. Yes, there was a lot of manifestations. Yes, there was a lot of great things that happened. One of the craziest miracles that happened in that was black and white people worshiping together. Because in the early 1900s, when there was laws to separate that, and people diverged, um, divided. Thank you, Karina. That's why I have you. Amen. Um, Who you finds a wife, finds favor. Who finds a good thing in favor of the Lord. That's Karina. Amen. But... That was one of the first times in North America that black and white people were worshiping together. It's revival. And what this book talks about is, is how they live their lives seeking after God, going after God no matter what transpired, seeking him when it wasn't popular, cool, or trendy. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. He wasn't like this pastor at this trendy church with skinny jeans. Like, he was a plumber. Or he was a plumber. Right? Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, got it. He was a plumber. That just got hungry for God. How many plumbers in here want Jesus? <laughs> All the plumbers said amen. More crack? What's up? But this book tells the story of them praying in their room when no one else was looking. And as a result, they showed a lot of people a different lifestyle, one that didn't have a heavy burden or an uneasy yoke, but one of pure communion with the Father. And because of this, the demonstration of pure devotion to God, not for any other reason than just to know him, these people became instrumental in the salvation of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people because of their continued burning passion in the secret place on their own. You see, these people were more like a slow burning candle with a sweet aroma to God than a bonfire that is started with gasoline that is alive for a moment and out the next moment. They understood that their faith walk was a marathon and not a sprint. They understood that God's word and his voice was a lamp into their feet, not a spotlight into their future which today is our number one problem in the church. And why revival has a negative connotation to it is because when we say revival, we want it now. We want fire and glory now. We want the harvest to come now. And we aren't patient nor willing to allow him to come as he so desires. In his timing, in his way, Then we sit back there and wonder why God isn't pouring out his spirit in a new way. Well, it's because we aren't willing to seek him longer than a 90-minute Sunday morning service. And more than that, we don't actually realize. And here's really it. Here's what sometimes us as Christians don't realize. That outside of church, God is still with you. 
that outside of a service, that the Lord is at hand right now. That he is with you. That he's in the room right now. That he's always with you. And we think he's not because we don't see supernatural signs or we don't see miracles or wonders. But can you grasp the reality tonight? The revival doesn't just take place on the mountaintops, but it also takes place in the valley. Revival isn't just you on a mountaintop with God and John and James and Peter, like chilling, Mount Transfiguration. Like, like it's not, that's not what a revival is. And those people, here's what they wanted to do. James and John or Peter and John, they're like, hey, Jesus, can we just camp out here? Like, this is too cool. I don't want to leave this mountaintop experience. Like, this is awesome. Like, can we stay here? And she's like, you dummies. Like, no, like, that's not the point. He didn't say you dummies, but he probably said, get behind me, Satan, or something like that. I don't know. Sons of, sons of Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Like, can we understand, can we grasp the reality that revival doesn't just take place on the mountaintop, but it also takes place in the valley. And that God is with you in those moments too. And just because you're not experiencing the stories that I told or you've heard, doesn't mean that God's hand isn't upon you. Doesn't mean he's not fighting the battles on your behalf. Doesn't mean that he's not thinking about you every second of every day. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't contending for you to come alive in him. And here's what it certainly doesn't mean. It certainly doesn't mean that you should give up on pursuing God. Just because we don't see the signs doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean that we should throw in the towel or th- throw, just because revival's not breaking out in the way we thought it would or as fast as we thought it would doesn't mean we, we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Man, for some of us in here, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I am burnt out. Well, here's my suggestion to you. Just quit the religion. How you do that, I don't know. Go be with Jesus, period. Just start pursuing God without any strings attached. Just drop your expectations and just love on him. Don't treat him like a vending machine. He's not a vending machine. He's a person. And people respond best, just like you and I, when we feel loved. Not for our performance. Not for our good things we can do for you. But just because you want to be with them. Love him and pursue him because he's good. Now, some of you in here are jaded because you've been hurt by revival meetings. Things that were taught or said or prayers that weren't answers that the preacher said was going to be answered. And part of me wants to say get over it, but I won't say that because I understand that when we are sometimes young in the faith or new to church or new to experiencing these things, and what ends up happening is we just believe the person with the, with the mic in their hand because, oh, they have a mic in their hand. They must like know their Bible. They must have like had a degree or something like that. Like they must have some formal training. Like I should believe them. Like, like I trust my doctor when I go to the doctor's office because, you know, that I know they went to school. Like I must trust the person with the mic in their hand because they, no, 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 no. Like, like. We end up just believing sometimes, and here's what I'd definitely say to you with this message. Don't just believe what I'm saying. Go home and chew on it. Trust me. I'm sure there's some people in here that's going to disagree with me, and I welcome that. But sometimes in those moments, we can be led to places that aren't green pastures and still waters that restore our soul, which is in Psalms 23, that Jesus wants to lead us to. But we can just become in those moments in those churches just a cog in a wheel. Have you ever felt like that? It felt just like a bum in a seat. Like that can be hurtful. Sometimes you can get burnt out on that stuff because I've been used that way. So I say to you, my hope is you can find forgiveness to the people that made you or inspired you to live that life script you're living. I'm sorry for the lofty and unrealistic expectations that were put on you. But here's the reality. You're not the only person in history that has experienced that. The Jews in the Bible times had to forgive the Pharisees to move on to something which was way better who was Jesus. 
who lived an opposite lifestyle to them. See, Jesus wasn't busy at all. He was never in a rush. Here's one thing that he never did. He never asked somebody to do something he had not already done twice over. Learned that from Pastor Eric Horstia. Slapping the bass. Man, he was noodling tonight. It was, I was feeling it down on the front row. I was like, yeah. Like, I need to surrender to that bass line. Somebody. Wow. Um, just kidding. I'm not kidding, but it was good. But like, see, Jesus will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already done twice over. Jesus will never ask you to be someone that he is not. He will never ask you to run the church rat race. He will always ask you to come and rest. And out of that place, that place of just being with him and the father, you won't become burnt out nor lukewarm because it's too good of a place. And let's just be honest. That is where our home is. That is our destination. That is our goal. Heaven, it's in the heart of God by being with Jesus. But what I will say is when you get to that place, and trust me when I say this, if you really want that, it's a dangerous place because trust me when I say this, you will want to see revival in your city more than ever. Because when you catch the Father's heart, you catch the burden he has for all the lost people broken and dead people and you you'll feel the desire in his heart by by being with all the people that are by by you'll feel the desire in his heart for all the people that are stuck in sin that are people that are striving or people that are living a fake life pretending they have it all together and and you see when you be with God as the band comes back up you'll catch the last verse that we read which is the Lord's prayer and you don't got to put it up on the screen let's just say it together one two three our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. When you catch the Father's heart, you will catch this verse. Because this is how he taught us to pray. This is what he taught us to pray for. Man, if he, it's a dangerous place to be in the heart of the Father heart of God because you will be more on fire. You will know more. It's like, it's a, well, I think I feel like Spider-Man said this. It's like once you've seen something, you're responsible. Or, or what is it? What was, was Spider-Man's uncle? What do you say? Great power, great responsibility. Exactly. Thank you, Karina, again. You're amazing. Wow. Come on, somebody. But when you're in that Father heart of God, man, you'll be more... Hungry to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, in Calgary, in your community, in your school, as it is in heaven, because you know how good he is. You know how fulfilling he is. And you won't, sorry, and you won't, and you will want everyone to experience it because, because, because you know how good it is. But here's the difference. So when you're doing it from a place of rest, seeking after God's heart, what will end up happening, the byproduct will be dead things coming alive. And not only yourself, but people around you. And you'll simply be in love with God because he's so good to you. And his love will pour out of your life because it's an overflow of you just spending time with him. And that is how I believe how revival will come to Calgary again. And I'm believing for it because I believe that God's kingdom will come and his will be done here in a minute. But it's not just going to be by one person. 
It's not going to be done by a show, a song, or a dance, but a people going on the lifelong journey of following after God and finding him in the place where no one is watching, no one's coaching, no one's persuading you or pumping you up. Here's the reality, friends. If if we can do that, I know, I know. And again, don't don't go back into the, the place of like, oh, I can earn this if I just spend unlimited amounts of time with God. No, 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 that's not the point. It's just by simply being with God. We'll see his kingdom come. His will be done. And we'll see him pour out his love on our city and nation. Because if you haven't noticed, God's will certainly isn't finished yet. If you haven't noticed, we've still got a long way to go. And that's not to, not to, not to put guilt or condemnation or shame on you. But I want you to know that there's people in this room right now contending for people that are far off in their sin, that are dead in their transgression. But here's the thing in doing that, what our, our hope and our goal is, so we can do it in a more healthier way. A, a more healthier way that's not forcing it, that's not striving for it. But that we are all walking in step with God's spirit at his pace that he's leading us because he knows us best. And by that, being continually and daily transformed into being more like him, having the dead things come alive in us and putting the things that need to be dead away. And how we do that is simply by being with our father. This is what we're designed for. As I was, as I was preparing this message this morning, this afternoon, my, my daughter Kendrick, she was, she was having her playtime, had her toys. Towards the end of her playtime, and we're teaching her how to be self-sufficient already as a baby. Like, like you're going to have to grow up one day, and we're starting now. I'm just kidding. Um, but the, towards the end of her playtime, as I was preparing this message, she usually gets just a little bit fussy. Because she's content on her own for a moment. But she gets fussy. Then how to fix that? And she was doing this literally around five o'clock, like she was playing in my office for an hour and I was just kind of praying and going over it. She was getting a little fussy and I put her down and she has this like really sad cry, like, like it's like, it'll melt your heart. But what always fix it is just simply by me picking her up, looking into her eyes, just being with her. And this is the desire that each and every one of us inside of us were built with but have been distracted by sometimes the toys. Now we get fussy, we get frustrated because something's out of alignment. And what that is, is by us not being with our father. So that's how I believe revival will come. It's by humbly, purely seeking our heavenly father and his heart, no matter who's looking and no matter the outcome. So we're going to pray. So if you want to stand, um, I just want to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room, if you're in this room and you're a little fussy, whether you know God or whether you don't know him at all. 
you feel like something's out of alignment. Maybe for some of you in this room, it's gonna be the first time that you come to Jesus. What I'd encourage you to do is maybe at the end, or definitely at the end, we'll have some leaders over here just come and say, hey, I don't know Jesus, but I'd love to pray with you. And we'd love to pray with you and invite him to know that Jesus Christ, who was God and is God, came down from heaven, lived the life that you and I couldn't live, gave himself on a cross, died the death, paid for our debts that we couldn't do, resurrected three days later so that we could come fully alive in him. This was the first verse we read, Ephesians 2. That's you in here. I just encourage you. Just come chat with us. But maybe you're in here and simply put, you're just a little burnt out. Just a little tired. Maybe you're not there, but maybe you'll be there one day. Here's what we're going to pray for. So what I felt like God said to me was, James, I want them to be in this for the long haul. I don't want just a flash in the pan or just a, a moment. I, I want to do life with them. I want to journey with them. I want to I walk with them. I don't want them just to come to Tehillah for a season and then all of a sudden not be interested. I, man, I want, or their church. I, man, I want them, I want, I want to do life with them. So what I feel like we should do tonight is just simply, in our own words, just simply start praying and asking God, God, what chains are on my life as we were singing? Or what things do I need to surrender? Or, or what, 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 what is coming in the way of me being able to be in your presence? And God, what is it that you are asking me to do? I was at lunch with the pastor today and he just turned 30 and he, and he, and he felt like God was saying, what are you going to vow to me? Not just what did the preacher say you should do, but no, no, no. What are you going to vow to me? And again, don't, don't go back to the place. I know I'm saying that we're going to do something, but don't go back to the place of, oh, I have to do something. No, 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 no. But it is that because it's not getting caught up in what I tell you to do, but it's getting caught up in what God is asking you to do. So just for a moment as the band plays and then we'll sing. God, what is that? God, how do I get to your heart? God, is there any walls up in my, in my heart that are preventing me from being with you? Because all I want to do is be with you, God. So just go ahead for a minute, take a moment of reflection. If you got to leave, it's 901. We love you. Again, next week. December 17th, Christmas party, December 24th, 6 p.m. to heal service, December 31st, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And I'll say this, you don't have to stay for the whole time. We're going to do a big party, food, a feast at midnight. It's going to be amazing. Maybe you want to leave at that point, but you're, I want to encourage you. Oftentimes in this city, and it was what ends up people doing, people just go out partying on New Year's Eve just because that's what people do. And I asked myself, like, man, why would, I, why, why would I want to do that? Why don't I do something different for a change? Come party with God. So I just want to extend that invitation to you. Um, but take a moment, reflect. All right, now here's my encouragement as we go. 
Here's my encouragement as you go, is I know we all kind of sit and chat and kind of do our own thing and sometimes just forget about the message. But here's just my encouragement. You don't have to do it. It's just an idea, a suggestion. It's my encouragement is when you leave this place, just get alone with God. Outside of the music, outside of the lights, the great Christmas trees, beautiful set design. Just get away with Him. And just ask Him, God, come meet with me. And if I'm really honest, I'm fighting this tension in my heart because everything in me wants to just go back to that sick bridge and, and have a great end to our service through a great song. I just, I'm a Pentecostal. I just want to do it. Like, but what I feel like we should do is actually, again, you're free to chat. No condemnation if you sit around and chat. We believe in community. But maybe just go away. Maybe just leave. Maybe it's with one person, somebody you trust, and just, man, I want to go after God. Will you come with me? I want to go after him when nobody's watching. Let's do it. Let's encourage each other. And find that place with God that, yes, we had people help us along the way to get there, but that we don't need people to keep us there. One of the most powerful seasons of my life, I was trying to follow God's will, trying to go to Bible college, got denied from not one, but two Bible colleges. And what God did was he isolated me. My best friend left. I just said goodbye to all my high school friends that were still partying. And I was by myself and I was in backyards painting people's gas meters for eight hours a day for six months. And he got me alone. He got me alone. And that is where he taught me to hear his voice feel his heart to know his ways so that's my encouragement God thanks so much for tonight God thanks for every person in here God thanks that you're good and you're real and you're amazing and God I just thank you that more than anything you want to meet with us more than we desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God you want that And God, you could do that in a heartbeat, but you're waiting for your people. You want to do it with your people. So God, I just pray a blessing over every single person that we would find God. We would find him and not stop searching, asking, seeking, knocking until we find him. And if we already think we got God, God, more are you because there's a never ending amount. So blow the caps off of people's heads and exceed their wildest dreams and imagination because you're that good. And God, your heart is to see every single person come to you. So God, I thank you for your grace and your love. And God, that even when we fail, you don't disqualify us, that you just pick us back up. Would we not get burnt out on religion or revival? But we come alive in your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. We're going to have a big party next week. We'll see you then.